Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. What do you say? Because uh, you guys both, when you notice them, you really notice them, but when you don't, you don't, you don't know what you right. have. I, I would, I would add one thing. I would say when it's there, t- when they have a moment of shine, it's very, very apparent. So like when you kick sure. a 45 or 50 yarder, it's like that guy's a hero or a game winner. And with offensive line, it's like you have that open field pull or whatever, and you're able to pancake someone. It's just like the ultimate euphoria. <laughs> for, those, for that one moment that you get maybe once in your career, right. I think I had one in college where it was open field tackle or open field block, right? I, I ended up cutting the guy, which I think earned me not very much favor, but it was a very apparent that I broke him free. And right. so that was like my, yes. <laughs> it was so, all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it all, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's how I imagine a, you know, a kicker feels when he hits a 50 yard or a 45 yard and it's just like, yeah, it's crazy. You'll, you'll train 12 months for maybe 10 reps in a game. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, cool. Hey, let's, let's get cracking. So, so how did, um, how did football coaching find you? Yeah. So, I mean, I could go on for about 10 minutes, but the short of it, the short of it is I originally did not go to college for football. I went to a junior college, uh, in my town, basically with the concept of I'm going to go to Texas A&M, which is you know, where I grew up. Um, partially because I was a above average player on my high school team, but in a team, I believe there were about 20 guys that on my team that ended up playing college. I was just okay. So I didn't think college was for me. And then I, you know, I was bored and I just, I don't even know what brought it on. I texted my high school line coach saying, Hey, um, can I help out? Is there anything I can do? And he's just, I was thinking I was going to help out the high school. And he said, why don't you go down to the junior high? They need some help. And so I did. And it turned out to be what I looked forward to every single day. I like, I was nine, I was 18, 19 years old and I should be looking forward to partying. You would think. And I was, I was excited because I got control basically of the offensive line. I didn't know what I was doing, but I got control of it. And I, I just looked forward to it every single day. And from there I was just like, okay, I'm going to be a coach. And then, you know, I had a, a friend's dad who said I ran into at the gym and ended up talking for an hour at the gym. It was kind of random. And he said, well, you want to coach? Why don't you play? You were a good player. And he's like, and he's also says, you know, my son is up at the Lake College in Wisconsin. You should reach out to them. And I was like, well, I do really miss football. So I sent an email to the coach, went on the visit, basically committed once I got the financials figured out and went from there. And then, I mean, I, I, I was so adamant on my recruiting visit that I wanted to coach that the coach, I think he pitched me on breaking down film as a recruiting pitch, <laughs> which we didn't follow through on because I think I realized how much work that was. And I was right. just being a college student focusing on trying to get playing time, but that was, right. I was so adamant about coaching because I had already kind of experienced coaching. and I wanted it, that that was a recruiting pitch. And then, uh, you know, helped out in the spring um, because I knew that that would help in job interviews uh, spring of my senior year and just been coaching straight out of college. So it's kind of a, a roundabout way, but I was yeah. very, very definite in my purpose after that first year. 
you know, after talking to like 30 or 40 different coaches that there, there's no linear path to coaching that I feel like it's all, a lot of it's like serendipity, but I think also too, like you have to, you actually had an interesting take on it because you had to find coaching to get you back into playing, to give you more experience to be a better coach. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's what, uh, and because I have, because of the town I grew up in, I played with a bunch of guys whose dads were A&M football coaches and one of them, uh, Bob DeBest, who's actually who's most recently the OC at Georgia Southern, I think he talked to my dad and said, well, if he wants to coach college, and I'm going to always want to be the highest level I can be, so if he wants to coach college, he, ha- he needs to play college. It's, you, you, can pl- you can coach college and not play in college, but it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. And then I was just, that also kind of just confirmed what I was doing as well. So, I mean, there was just multiple avenues where it was just like, let's, let's go play football. And once I was in it, I was just like, yeah, this is exactly what I want. Right. Um, wh- why did you look forward to coaching middle school kids every day I, that I've taught K through college. And I can say that the one age group that I just can't, I could not crack the code was middle school kids. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of like the banter, you know, honestly. And I always, I, I tell my guys, if I'm not like ragging on you or I'm not like playfully, you know, trash talking you, then, then you should be worried. You know, kind of like you hear the phrase, if a coach is not coaching you hard, then you need to be worried. It's kind of like that with me. Like that's just my natural personality style. And so seventh graders and eighth graders, they love that. Like they, they want to be it's like the only language they speak is sarcasm. Exactly. So maybe I'm just a big kid, but I, and also I think it was just, I really missed football. And I really, it was kind of me discovering something about, I don't know, that sounds kind of cheesy, but discovering what I wanted to do. So maybe the big picture got me excited, but I mean, actually I didn't even stop at football. They asked me if I wanted to coach the basketball for seventh grade. And I, I was, I'm a six foot tall guy who once, once, once being a six foot tall center, was not an option. I stopped playing basketball because I was, couldn't play center at six foot tall. And, you know, I know nothing about basketball and I stayed on just because I liked the coaching aspect. And, you know, I, you know, it just, I enjoyed it. I don't, I don't know why it just, it was fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. And and what do you think is, uh, so you're an O-line guy. Sell, sell us on why everybody should be an O-lineman. You should be on, you should be an offensive lineman because I would say number one, the relationships you have with the guys mm-hmm. that you will never, you there, there's an unspoken kind of trust and kind of bond you have with the guys next to you, whether or not your friend, whether your friends are not with them, even I haven't talked to the guy who I did double teams in college with since graduation. But if I'm next to him, I know when, when I can overtake a guy or I know when he can leave, or I know when I'm, when I, when I got, when I got his back. All right. And there's that kind of unspoken bond, unspoken trust. In addition to just offensive linemen are just, you know, the, the stereotype is somewhat true in the sense that you got the outgoing guys, you have the fun guys. And anytime you get 10 to 15 guys who, you know, are outgoing that you're going to have a fun time. I mean, just the bonds. And honestly, that's part of my favorite part of coaching is the personalities of the players is just, dealing with those guys. And so offensive line, the personalities are bigger. The bodies are obviously bigger. <laughs> um, just better. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's in my group, you know, sure. 
I, I, you know, I've coached other positions and there, there are positives of each of them, but offensive line is kind of like home, you know? Mm. <laughs> so for yeah. me, that's why offensive line's best. And you should be an offensive lineman because it's just fun. Yeah. It was, I, so the, the deal I struck in high school to kick was my coach said I was too slow to be a wide receiver and I'm not big enough to be a good lineman, but he needed a six guy in the line. So <laughs> we were a small school. So I said, all right, I'll be the six guy and I'll run scout. O if you let me kick. And he was like, deal. The problem was we had this kid transfer in who ended up playing nose guard at Kent state with Julian Edelman. And, and I, I always, I went against him every day in practice. He was nice. He was cool about it though. He was like, I was like, dude, you can't keep pancaking me. I'm getting killed. Yeah. And, but then like when he would start dogging it, the coaches would be like, Jordan, turn it up. He'd be like, I'm coming this time, man. I'm like, all right, I got it. <laughs> Just brace for impact. Just brace for impact. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah, don't kill me, sir. But, but the linemen were always cool. Um, and, and so what is it like, I guess it's a, been a weird year with COVID. I, I think soon that word will be, be banned. I think people are just drained from it wherever you fall on the spectrum of it, whether it, you think it's the apocalypse or, you know, a hoax, but, um, what do you think is the, the, the biggest, obviously you're in the thick of recruiting right now. Um, you're at Gettysburg division three school. Um, what's the biggest misconception that you typically find you need to clear up for families in the recruiting process? In the recruiting process with families, uh, I'd probably say at our level, it's the prices of the schools, honestly, or Division threes, especially high academic ones. Um, I always describe the price as like a car. You know, if you pay the full price, then you don't care about the price. All right. If you like it, it will come down. There's a re- you know, we have a pretty high asking price, but, you know, at the end of the day, we wouldn't get guys if it wasn't affordable for them. You know, so I think that's one thing that I try to dispel almost immediately um, with recruits, families in particular. Um, with recruits, it's, you know, it's the biggest thing to dispel is not necessarily dispel, but just kind of create the relationships. I mean, they say recruiting is all about relationships. Um, and it's true. You know, it's you got and. Yeah, you know, I always tell the guys I will probably be more blunt than I should be. Um, my recruiting strategy is if I sell you on something that's kind of false or I hide the truth from you and then you leave after your first year, then neither of us are going to be happy because I lost you after a year and then you're wasted a year. Um, so just kind of asking those tough questions is one, something I always tell guys. I'll tell, I'll, I'll go on a thing and say, this is what we have. This is, a, this is our deal. You should ask, you should compare us with other schools. You should ask this question is one of the things I always ask. And I say like, when I talk about the, the price of schools, for instance, I say, we're not unique in this fact, all right? Each school is, you know, they're going to come down, all right? Just because we start off a little higher doesn't mean we're not going to meet, be where they are. Um, but just, you know, price is big. And then being very, very upfront with players is kind of the biggest things I do in recruiting, at least for the guys who it's their kind of time to recruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of... Uh you know, college is stressful in general for parents, but there's a lot of misconceptions around what actually goes into the final tuition bill number. Like yeah. how is that even arrived at? Cause if a college costs 40 grand or 30 grand, but this kid's paying 28, this kid's paying 17, whatever. Um, th- there is a lot more haggling behind the scenes, especially coming from the, 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 D, the smaller D three school world where like, and a parent's immediate reaction is like, what? 
exactly. without, without even talking to the financial aid office. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my, that was my dad's reaction to my college that when I told him I was wanted to go to that school that I ended up going to us, he said, uh, no, the Texas A&M is $20,000. You're going there. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you, know, you, you had, you not necessarily haggle, but you go through the process and it gets down, you know, it's at the division three level, it's all, it's merit-based and it's need-based. So, I mean, if you have a high need, you're going to get that need met most likely, or it's going to be close enough, you know, and if it's, if we are more expensive than another school, usually that's because we are a better school. And the biggest thing that we try to do is in my, at that point, I tell them, you know, our biggest goal is to make your decision, not necessarily a financial one, because if, if a school is $10,000 cheaper than us, then yeah, go there. That makes sense. But it, if it's a question of value as opposed to finances, like that's our goal. If we're a better school, you know, prestige wise or ranking wise, or we have a better fit for your major, I want it to be a, I wanted to get down close enough to be a value question as opposed to a finances. So if it's two to $3,000 more than another school, you know, at that point, all right, $6,000 or $8,000 over your four-year career more, are, are you going to reap that in the after? So that's kind of an argument that, you know, the higher academic schools have to make when dealing with some schools are going to be cheaper. But obviously, if it's $5,000 more, then we're not going to, if it's five to $10,000 more, and that's $20,000 or $40,000 more a year, then I never fight guys on that. It's, sure. It makes sense. I mean, I, yeah. Now, can you, and this is a good opportunity because we have a lot of parents that listen. What are maybe three or so questions that a, a parent should ask a, a financial aid office regarding a, a like a, a financial aid package? Um, or if they're trying to renegotiate something, like what, go, what are the questions that they need to ask? I would say if they're trying to get the lowest cost, um, brick showcase them what the market value for that for your student is so if one school is cheaper then say that then show them how much cheaper a school is and obviously this is going to be kind of later on in the process so if say like say you went to hartwood college say hartwood college is five thousand dollars a year cheaper than gaysburg college well then show we don't if we don't know that then we don't you know we can't say we match that all right, but if they know that, then they go, okay, well, this might be the market for this guy. Do we, you know, and adjust that way? So, being very transparent on how cheap, much cheaper other colleges are helps. Um, another thing is just asking them, what else do you need? I know, I mean, my dad, I remember my dad brought out his entire checkbook, entire debt, like showcased all the debts, showcased, hey, this is my third kid in college to prove that the original cost was not good enough for me. So the more information they know about you, I know some people are kind of don't want to showcase if they're in debt. I know that was a, a point that my dad didn't feel great about was how how much my siblings college were, we were behind on, but that got a cheaper, that made it financially viable for me to go to the school I went to. So just put it, putting it all online and then you know showing them what they can compare or what that school needs to to match or to change it to make it a value-based uh, decision as opposed to a financial decision would be the biggest things I would say to parents. And then just tell the coaches, you know, I always tell guys are at the division three level, 
our biggest strength in the admissions process, obviously we can't tell people, hey, this kid needs $5,000 more dollars. Like that's illegal. But what we can do is say, hey, this guy's a, we can tell admissions, hey, this guy's a, a National Merit Scholar. Hey, this guy's a Boy Scout, Eagle Scout. Hey, this is a great human being. You know, we can, we can be an advocate. Mm-hmm. Hey, what, you know, we can say, what else does this guy need to show? Or what, what is your hold back on him? You know, we, we can be advocates. Um, like I said, we can't tell them, hey, push this kid through. Or we can't say, hey, give him $10,000 more. Like, that'd be great. But that's not Division Three. Sometimes I right. wish we could, just like one, you know, if we had like a one, like a one grace person. One kid but, a year. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. But um, that's not the case. But, you know, tell the coaches what the problem is and we can communicate with the, with the admissions people what the problem is. So communication just in general with us and with the admissions and then show them what the mark, what the going rate for your services as a student are, <laughs> you know, we're a service industry. It's a, we're educating people. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people forget that, especially at smaller division three schools or smaller schools in general, a football team with 150, 175 kids on it is going to make up almost 10% of the student body. So you are in a way like, especially at smaller schools, football coaches are pseudo admissions officers. Um, and, and so, okay. You're trying to walk on to UConn or UMass big schools, great programs, but you know, there's a, it's a, it's a, lot slower process perhaps if you're if you're a bubble player yep. there than if you try to go to a smaller school where there's more pull absolutely and you know one of the things i've tried to stay away from is there are like in my coaching career there are colleges that they have minimums to, to make like they need to have this many people on the roster or else uh, they don't care if you win like you are the male population for that school um and thankfully i haven't been at schools that put that pressure because I've been able to be at schools that are pretty high academic. So the school kind of sells itself a little bit. Um, But I I have interviewed at places that were, Hey, we need to have 150 guys on the roster. And I I just don't like the idea of recruiting for the sake of recruiting. Sometimes, you know, I want to be able to handle, be able to handle and be able to give each player the best experience. So, you know, if we, if we think we can handle 120 players then we'll have that 120 players, if we, think a hundred's our cap then hundred be our cap you know it's we don't i don't want someone else dictating the numbers yeah yeah which is unfortunate because i mean i think a, a lot of the smaller schools in general like college is going to experience some type of a contraction mm-hmm. um i mean you, you can't have something go up a thousand percent tuition costs over the, over you know 40 years and not expect at some point there's going to be a market correction i think covid definitely hit hard some schools that were already struggling even pre-covid you think of like becker college mount ida um i mean those are two schools that used to be in the conference i played in um and it's kind of like this doom loop you can get on right if you don't play if, if the doors if the doors don't get open because of covid kids aren't paying full tuition and if they don't get the full tuition then can you reopen the doors next year it's not like you're a name brand Ivy league school that has, you know, the endowment of a small third world country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and so I guess like, have, how have you felt that COVID's impacted division three football in the past year? I think for, for me personally, it didn't affect us with the, without the exception of obviously 
the not playing football and having some of our students not on campus like that obviously affected us but in the grand scheme kind of like with the school in general we're going to be okay um generally speaking i think covid affected the the, the bigger schools less than the smaller schools like you were saying some of the schools i think push football a little harder because they needed to have that enrollment. They needed to have people on campus. Um, but, you know, it's neither here or there. But I think for us Gettysburg wise, we were in a unique position as well that we had a brand new staff. Our head coach got hired in February. Uh, Mo Banks came from Penn. Um, and then everything got shut down about a month after he got there. Welcome. And, yeah, it was great. We, he had to like, push through a, the offense coordinator hired to, like, Hey, I need an offensive coach. Um, cause we, he was replacing an offensive head coach and he's a defensive guy. So, um, and so one of the things that we were able to do, and actually I got the call to get this job in March. I didn't get hired till August because of everything that was going on. So it personally affected me a little bit. <laughs> where, where were you at before this? Ohio Northern. Okay. Um, but the Ohio Northern coach, let me kind of stay on and just continue doing graphics for him and kind of, actually got a couple commitments while I was still kind of in the in-between. Um, but, you know, so that affected me. But one of the things that it kind of helped us, and obviously with the new staff, we're in a rebuilding process. We were able to, we didn't have to, because of fall camp, just jump into scheme and jump into game plan. So we were, so we didn't have to worry about that because we didn't have a game in two weeks. We were able to actually establish our culture. And we did so many things on culture that we wouldn't really have time for in the fall. So, you know, it, it definitely hurt teams. Like I know Ohio Northern, when I left them, they were primed for a great year. Like they, they have everyone back. They were, you know, they just have to replace a quarterback. They got a really good transfer in. You know, they have dudes and that they hurt for them. But for us who we're trying to rebuild and we're trying to establish a standard, we tried turning it into a positive and it kind of helped us in that sense. And that's something that I think we've all the coaches on staff have kind of agreed in getting the freshmen in, getting them in the weight room, getting them, you know, this is, this is how we function as a team. This is how we roll. This is the standard was really good. And then upperclassmen were able to, when they came in the spring, cause they weren't here in the fall or they were originally, but then we sent them home. Um, it, when they got here, we were able to establish the standard as well. So, it was not necessarily okay for us, but we made as big of a positive as we possibly could, just being a new staff and all. So I mean, we think of it as, as uh, we've, we've gained a year, I think. We've, we've made it into a positive, but obviously I, I am itching to – I'm itching for fall camp, and fall camp is not something people usually enjoy. You know, it's kind <laughs> of uh, what you have to do. And then the right. game. Well, coach, coaches get camp legs, man, just, just oh, yeah. standing. Oh yeah, it's, but I'm like, I'm like, let's 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 get to let's get to football camp. Like, I'm ready right. for football camp, and you know, every practice we had over this COVID year was just like, oh, it feels normal, you know. So right. I enjoyed it immensely. So I mean, it made you appreciate what you know, COVID and football in the grand scheme made me appreciate everything, um, but it also allowed for us to kind of set what we were going to do, hmm. standard wise, culture wise, equipment. Yep strength and conditioning things of that nature gotcha and and what do you think is the um biggest struggle that freshmen face when they first get to college oh without a doubt it's the not immediately playing 
aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the big one um, because think about it. It's now I was uniquely positioned to handle college football in the sense that Texas high school football, I was nothing special because I had, you know, I think there was like eight division one guys on my team. And so I knew I wasn't the, the I, I didn't have an ego from football. Um, but some of these guys are the best guys in their area. Some of these guys have, have had their name in newspapers for three or four years and they get here and all of a sudden there's guys that were the exact same as them, but in a high school, in a college program for two or three years. So sometimes that is a big kind of, you know, kind of swallow the pride, tone down the ego moments for some guys. Um, And then again, you have some freshmen that are, you know, step on, step, step on and play right away, but it's more rare than anything. Um, But that's a big, that's a big problem for guys kind of, figuring out the work it takes to play college football. Um, And in addition, I think another thing is, especially at the Division III level, where there is a little bit more national recruiting than, say, Division II, especially for the high academics, um, being away from home. All right, because I I went to college 18 hours away from my house. And I was ready because I had spent a year kind of on my own already, and I knew what I wanted. But there were a lot of guys that at the college I went to that, after their first year, they just went back home because they missed home and it was different. And that's because my school recruited nationally because it was a high academic they had to. And so, and they're not unique in that sense. And the same with Gettysburg is we're trying to be a little bit more national. Um, and that's kind of the thing that you have to establish. And one of the advantages of me recruiting Texas is I can tell them my own experience from going 18 hours away from home. Sure. So. So those are the two big things that stand out to me. And then also just the, the sheer freedom that's never been experienced before. <laughs> yeah. We all, we all, every coach has stories of a genius of a kid who doesn't make it out of his first year because he found video games and realized that he could just play video games for 23 hours a day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's funny. Like, like the first, like three friends I made, like they all, they all washed out after a year. Cause you just like, you, yeah. you I'm like, you haven't gone to class in three weeks you got a, you got a 0.7 for your GPA. Like you got to try to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a real thing. And everybody, every coach knows of, has seen it. Every, I I would venture to say every college football player knows a guy that's, that's done it. So it's, so that's a pretty, it's a pretty common thing as well. So. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you take kids from K to 12 and they don't make a whole lot of decisions for themselves. And then suddenly they're, they're just chucked in the deep end and now it's time for Johnny to go make decisions for him, but he had no practice 20 years leading up to this. Um, when you, you know, as a coach, what do you think is the, the biggest mistakes that young first time coaches make when they're trying to establish who they are? And then maybe what was a, a mistake that you made that you like it stunk in the moment, but long-term set you up for longer term success as a coach. Yeah, I actually, cause I've listened to a couple, especially the guys that, uh, I've heard of or know, especially the offensive linemen. I, uh, I've been thinking about this question because I noticed it was a common one. Um, <laughs> so the thing that I wish I – or the, my advice, so a common thing that coaches say to young coaches is don't speak, listen. Okay, and I probably took that to the, in, to the wrong level. I didn't say a word my first for, – for a while my first job. I was so quiet. I didn't speak up. I had no confidence because I just was in the mindset of I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn. All right. 
And if I spoke up a little bit more, asserted a little bit more confidence, I feel I would have been much better. Like my first year, I, w- I, I was bad. I was a bad coach just because I was, I did, I didn't have enough confidence in myself. I didn't learn enough or I didn't, I didn't know how to do it right. You know, and, you know, so that was, I wish I spoke up a little more, asked a little bit more questions, um, said, well, coach, why are we doing this as opposed to just accepting it and then trying to figure out the answer. I kind of felt like the, the kid who daydreamed while learning the process of a math problem and then you see the results and you're just trying to figure out how you came to that conclusion like I just was like all right wait how do how are we getting to this or what's the point of it I didn't know you know so I wish I had more confidence to ask more questions so you know that kind of goes in my my grand scheme of thing of you know gray areas are where life is I you know obviously don't want to be too talkative but obviously don't want to be super quiet there's a happy medium and kind of have to figure that out I took it to the to the extreme on being quiet. So I know that's a common thing that coaches say is, you know, don't talk, listen, but don't be, don't take that to heart. Don't take that to a hundred percent. And then kind of that alludes into my biggest mistake that I think I made as a coach is, you know, in my, in my first year, you know, there was a player who I thought, you know, he was my guy. Like, this is, this is my guy. This is the best player for this position. He should be starting. And my coordinator did not want him to start. He wanted to bench him after a certain point for a younger guy. And I was wholeheartedly against that, but I didn't really have enough confidence to, to argue, not argue, but to say, coach, say, coach, this is, this is my guy. This is, this guy is the best in practice. This guy is, shown that he can get the job done at probably all conference level. And if he still makes that decision to bench that guy, then I'll, you know, I'll do my job and I'll coach the other guy as the starter just as well. But the fact that I didn't even say anything has something, is something I've always looked back on and cringed and said, like, I need to be better at that. Like that. And so I, from that point, I will be a lot more, if there's ever a discussion that I disagree with, I'll at least make the point. Um, because I felt like I didn't, I did that kid a disservice by not really fighting for him. Even if the result wouldn't have changed, I didn't fight for him well enough. And so that's something that I really regret. And, you know, I, yeah, it's, and it, it changed how I look on things and how, at the very least, I need to fight for the guys that are my guys. If I'm not fighting for them, you know, then he's just going to be left out to dry. And I think he was confused and I was confused why it was happening and I didn't fight for him. So I, I've thought about that a lot and it's changed my mindset on, you know, fighting for my guys. Yeah. I think players forget that. And I think most coaching staffs are pretty good about presenting a United front, but, but, but at the same time, like you only see your coaches for two hours a day, you know, half hour (laughs) film, whatever, but, the other 10 hours like they're they're do- i mean some some coaches just watch youtube videos and there's some, mm. some <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of that going on in the offices um but you know they i think they forget that like there are these like he- really heated discussions and debates about like like this quarterback's ready to start no but this guy's a 50 year senior he's been a great culture guy his arm's not good but he'll make the right call under pressure um yeah i think we forget that like I think when players look at their coaches, they look at you guys like as like robots, 
you know, yeah. they don't see you as fully complicated people. <laughs> and I mean, I think it is important that once a decision is made, that they, they, there is a united front at the very least. Sure. But, yeah. But you have to have those discussions because I mean, the last, a, a very common phrase, and it's almost become coach speak at this point is we don't want yes men, you know, like you want to, you want to argue because you want to, you know, discussing things, talking things out is a very, very pro like it's a very profitable thing and not just coaching but everything so you know it's you have to at least have that and sure. I at that point in my career I didn't have the confidence to do that and ever since then you know maybe some coaches would say I talk too much or I'd always get told you know jokingly shut up by my coordinator but he you know it was I was good with him and my at like Ohio Northern I, I love him to death and he's a great coach he'd be like Kelly shut up like I get it <laughs> like okay coach we're good gotcha. but at least I have the confidence to say something and if we make a decision then we'll go with that decision but um at least my voice is heard and my opinion is heard because if I'm the position coach then I'm around them the most so there's a story once of when the the two founders of Google were interviewing their first CEO I think it was Eric Schmidt and um if you asked Eric Schmidt how the first meeting went he, he was like i walked out of that meeting after four hours of just arguing with these guys like so basically the founders of google had like done like hundreds of pages of research on him and they just went point by point grilling him on every decision he ever made at previous companies and why he did that and why he thought this line of code was better than this one. they were calling him you know this that's a pretty stupid idea here's all the reasons why you're not that smart anyway long story short he, he leaves the meeting thinking that like, there's no way I'm going to get these jo this job and these guys are a bunch of assholes. And then he gets, a, they get the call. He, the, the Google guys call Schmidt and say, Hey, we, we'd love to have you for the job. And, and he goes, well, I, you guys just spent four hours telling me how much I was awful. And they, they go, yes, but it was the best argument we've had in a long time. And we'd love to have you. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's almost, um, I kind of have to explain it to my fiance a little bit, but, uh, you know how you are with siblings where you are just un, un just unfiltered truth with them. Like, it's almost like you're being mean. My, my fiance is an only child and she, I'll say something to my brother or sister. And she's just like, wait, what? Like, don't be, don't be mean. Like, don't like, come on. Awful person. Yeah. I'm just like, no, it's fine. Like they, they don't have any grudges against me when I say this. And if you knock down those barriers and obviously there has to be a form of civility. Like if I'm a coworker, then you can't just be brutal to them. But right. if you knock down kind of the the parameters or the those those barriers, then you can get some truthfulness and you can get some great discussions from it because that right. natural kind of argumentative argumentative process and kind of a, a little bit of a Socratic method, a little bit of talking things out of uh, you know you can find some correct answers that way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um... And, and yeah, cause I guess it's tough because it's like, it's not like there's a football coaches union out there. Yeah, I should have one. Um, but it, it's <laughs> more, you'd, you'd, you'd see a lot less, uh, $6,000 jobs on football. <laughs> yes. Uh, job requirements must be super bowl champion, preferably work under Saban can't park on campus. I, I literally almost in my first or second year, I almost responded to one of those. It was like, preferred division one experience and it was like a division three job and it was like and then it said like this is a volunteer position i almost wanted to email them just like a like a 
like a big middle finger like just <laughs> seriously man like just just say that you don't want to like have a indentured servant like it's it i know ex- it's crazy but it's the stuff that you i mean obviously we get enamored by Dabo sweeney and you yeah. know he's, <laughs> he's doing all right making a lot of money off the image and likeness of his players but um yeah he, he wins too but anyway yeah. but, I mean, but market value i guess <laughs> yeah well but, but i think we also forget too that like 98% of college football coaches are not, you're not making big bucks. I mean, maybe head coaches do all right, but um, we had uh, Anthony Calgin on uh, Akron coach. And he, he's great. Um, but he said that coaching is the best job, but th- the worst profession because oh. of just how hard it is to, to break in and, and mm-hmm. establish yourself. And, you know, there's, I guess there's different schools of thought. Like you see that there are, there are these coaches that have this like meteoric rise. I think of like, like Bob Chesney over at Holy Cross and, you know, everything seems to kind of have the Midas touch. He went to Salve Regina, turned it around in a year playoffs, assumption turned it around in a couple of years playoffs, mm-hmm. you know, now he's at Holy Cross, turn it around, won the Patriot league. But then there's other guys that are like, you know, you got to water your grass first. And then if you do your thing at your place, good things will come to you, I guess. And then like players are like, they want to play for a coach that's they want to play for the guy that recruited them. And then they go through all these hoops and then suddenly, okay, coach just bounced to go to another school. Yeah. Like how do you create every coach says relationships are important yet. The very nature of your job has a turnover rate of like 40% every year. No, I like mean, how, how do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, there is, I mean, it's a very true statement, especially, especially when, you know, in my early years as an intern, um, I think the places I was at, uh, the head coach had been there for a while. So that would be one of the things I would always highlight to the recruits. Um, when I was at Tiffin, the head coach had been there for nine, 10 years. And now he's at Valdosta. It took the, it took his alma mater, his alma mater who just won a national title for him to leave. And then at Ohio Northern, I was with Dean Paul, who has been a head coach at Ohio Northern, I want to say since 2004. Sure. And his coordinators had both been there for 10 years. So I'd always say, you know, I can't promise you that I'll be here for four years because quite frankly, I'm not important enough to keep for four years at this point, right, in my current role. But we, we always, at Ohio Northern, we called it the Trident. You know, the coordinators and the head coach have been here forever. You're going to, I feel safe to tell you that you're probably going to have the same coordinators and the same head coach for four years would be what I would tell them. Um, so now granted I was in a very easy situation of, uh, you know, that those, that, that was my situation that I could point to. Um, but say for Gettysburg, for instance, you know, this is my first year of head coaches in the first year. I tell them with very good truth is I'm planting roots a little bit here. My fiance has got a good job and, you know, unless texting and calls, I mean, I'm, unless a dream job shows up, I'm probably going to be here. And in addition, our head coach has said that he literally took this job because he wanted to plant roots a little bit. He was kind of tired of the, you know, the jumping around. Um, So that's, you kind of have to, you know, approach them would say like, yes, this is the nature of the business. I can't promise you I'm going to be here for four years, but this is my mindset. And if it's truthful, then they will believe you. If you're a used car salesman and are, and are looking for every opportunity to leave, then it won't come across as believable. 
they can see through that. Just like players, sure. they can see through whenever you're BSing them. You know, that's a that in that conversation as well. It comes out. You know, like I said like I'm I've kind of playing a roost here a little bit. Got fiance got a job. I, I haven't applied for a single job since I got this job, and it's because I'm pretty happy. <laughs> right. You know? And um, we're yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's just. I think the best coaches like like they they acknowledge it, you know. Um, yeah. Um, and, but I think that's something too. Like that kind of just goes back to college, right? Like it's a business. People leave, people bounce, bosses change, right? I've had great bosses that I came in to work at a place at, and then like two years later they left. So you you can't totally anchor your happiness into the person you're going to be working for. That's why, like, you always got to ask yourself, like, if I if I pop my ACL running my conditioning tests, I can never play again. Would I actually still like it here? Um, yeah. And that's a big thing we highlight as well is sure. when you go to a school, don't let football be the only reason. Yep. <laughs> Please, like, and a way that when I was at Ohio Northern, you know, it's a great program. I, it was hard to leave. Um, but I would always highlight how many student coaches we had because right. that showed a good, that's because the guys couldn't play football or, were injured, but they loved the football team so much. They stuck around or they loved the school so much. They stuck around. Um, so just highlight your positives, you know, and like, you'll, you'll find them. Um, but yeah, no, you, you should not choose a school based off of one football coach. Absolutely not. You need to, <laughs> you need to go there and enjoy your time there because football only lasts, you know, from August to November every day and in the off season about an hour workouts, maybe spring, you know, spring football a little bit. Like it's, you got a lot more hours in the day that you have to be in that location and go to that school. You know, you gotta, you gotta get something out of it as well. That's not football related. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, just for your own sanity's sake, like, absolutely. You know, it's the, you can get so stuck inside your own head. I mean, a lot of young guys just can't differentiate between their self-worth as a person and who they are as a player. You know, if, if you're, if you don't like what you're studying, if you don't like the clubs you're in, or if you're not, you know, getting outside your head a little bit outside of football, um, it, it can be a, a pretty, that's when you get in those situations where like, Oh, I'm just going to transfer. Oh, I love this one. The kid that like, eventually there's always that like one kid that comes into camp and he's just non-stop talking about how he's just going to ball out and then transfer and go D1 or something. Yeah. We, we had a kid like that. Uh, my first preseason, he was, he was from Texas. So everybody in upstate New York is like, Oh my God, he must be legit. Have a culture shock. Like one returned, like one punt, pulled his hamstring and then he washed out, you know, like, but anyway, like I, I think a lot of kids go into, they go into preseason with like a, I'll just transfer out if I don't like it mindset. Yeah. Um, it, not, not that the, you can't ever transfer, but I think it is, it's being treated more as a first resort than a last resort. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. yeah I mean, what's your take? well, I mean, I have a unique perspective cause, um, you know, I did go to a, well, I went to a junior college, so that's going to that school with the intent of transferring eventually. Um, but I remember cause during my playing career, I had a coaching change in the middle of it. We weren't that successful. Uh, I went through an 0-10 season my first year. Uh, that was brutal. I never – I hadn't had a losing season in, in baseball, football, or whatever sport I played in since seventh grade, and that was because the other school had all the size um, in town. Uh, but going through all that, 
I was the happiest guy there because I had seen the other, I had been on the other side of the, of the, you know, the grass is greener. Well, I was on the other grass and it wasn't greener than this. I was so happy to be there. Um, and the guys that were transferring out, the amount of guys that transferred back was actually pretty high. <laughs> like there were at least four or five guys that transferred out, transferred out because they didn't enjoy it. And then they missed all their friends and transferred back. So I, and then all the other guys that would transfer to my college who had experienced life other, other, at other schools, they loved it just like me. It was like, we were the happy, we were like the, the happy little gang that was just like, guys, this isn't, this is great. Like you should be happy. Like we're going to work and we're going to try to win some games and we're going to enjoy, like we enjoy our camaraderie with the team, but the guys who were just in it for, they were just from the mindset of, I need to play. I need to win right now. I don't, I'm going to transfer out. They always either came back or they, you know, they fell off the face of the earth for us, you know? So I think I got, I, my initial college experience never was good for me because it, that, that thought of transferring out of Beloit never crossed my mind. Uh, um, like I was known as the biggest Beloit lover. I still go, I was there two weeks ago because I just love, I just, I wanted to talk to the, to the new coaches. Cause I'm a big, I'm the biggest fan of Beloit in the, in the history um, because it, a lot of what I got, a lot of what I am as a human was, was kind of changed. I mean, my life changed drastically from being an 18 year old sitting in a apartment with my high school friends. We were not doing anything productive. The only productive thing I was doing was junior high football and then all of a sudden I'm part of a team. I'm, you know, enjoying life with new people from all over the country. I'm, you know, I'm meeting, you know, of my four groomsmen in my income, my wedding in June, three of them are football players that I played with at that college. I made great friends and they're all from other places. They're one's from, uh, oh, he's going to kill me. Wherever Boston College is, that town. <laughs> uh, oh, Chestnut Hill? Yep, he's from Chestnut Hill. No, one, they, they say they're from Boston, but yeah, yeah. Oh, everybody knows they're not. One from Orlando, Florida, and the other one's from Morris, Illinois, are the three. You know, so when we would go to a bar, you know, when we were seniors, we looked like the most obvious fakes because Texas ID, Florida ID, Massachusetts ID, Illinois ID. None of us <laughs> are from that city. So the bouncer's but, like, well, hey, at least you guys tried, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and but I got to meet people from completely different backgrounds, completely. And that, that was just, that wasn't even just my friends. That was everyone I encountered. Right. And so I'm super appreciative that I kind of had a bad first year of college at my junior college where I kind of was kind of stuck in neutral that, you know, I was appreciative and I never thought about transferring. And I would always try to convey that to the guys that were thinking about transferring when I was a player. And I always kind of, tell guys like, Hey, if you're thinking about transferring, you know, as a coach, I tell them like, come talk to me. I can tell you my background and, you know, is it really going to be that, that much better than here that you've sure. already kind of established roots. You already, I can see your friend group, like this is your friend group. Are you, do you not like them or, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I can provide a little bit of a unique perspective. Now every, every case is different. Like obviously some guys transferring is the best thing for them, you know, whether or not, whether you know there's they got a sick family member then yeah go like you gotta be there for that family but if it's just because you're not playing or you know you don't want to try to build something or try to get the team better or you like you want to go to a winning program that's winning right now then it's all it's not always the best situation sure 
Yeah, and even like, and I'm sure you know kids that have gone to Texas A&M or Ivy League school or, you know, or or their their dream school, whatever, like Notre Dame. You could still go to your dream school, and there's going to be problems there. Oh, yeah. They're just they're just going to be bigger problems. But maybe I mean maybe problems with like some more free gear. I don't know what cool yeah, edit you can put up on Twitter, but you know I think the misconception is like, oh I'm good. Like I'm at this D1 Power Five school, and that's awesome, and it's cool, and everybody's happy for you, but you know, you still, you're still going to see the same person in the refle- in the mirror when you look at your reflection. So like, what are you transferring for? What does success look like? What are you, what are you really doing it for? Yeah. You know, What's is it just, <laughs> yeah. And most kids won't be able to articulate it. And if you, if you can, great. If you can't, don't go upending your whole life and your parents' finances for, <laughs> uh, for the pursuit of a free pair of cleats. Yeah, and um, if, if parents are listening and worried about financial aid, I promise you transfer financial aid is a lot worse than first year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the first year is tough too. So we, we basically, as a transfer student, I basically had to fight for first year financial aid because. Well, they're like, going to give it to the kids that have four years paying versus a couple as a transfer, but well, it's a business. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, anyway, man, we'll, we'll, we're, we're wrapping up here. I want to be uh, respectful of your time. You had to get back to your fiance. Um, what's the best way for, for parents or, or kids to reach out to you? Um, the best way to reach out to me is, uh, probably Twitter, um, which is P Galloway, G A L L O W A Y 16. Um, probably the best to follow. And then also the Gettysburg football Twitter. Um, and on the Gettysburg football Twitter, if you just type in Gettysburg football, it'll pop up um, on the Gettysburg football Twitter and my Twitter. There's actually a link tree that has basically everything as our roster has pictures of our campus, has our questionnaire. It's everything you could possibly want to find out about our college outside of talking to us. And it actually also has coaches coaching profiles as well. Cool. So you can find out who is recruiting your area, who is, who is, uh, what their favorite movie is, things like that. Favorite, you know, favorite cool. TV show, a little bit of personality too. Um, but basically, I we wanted to streamline all things to where, you know, a, a recruit can find Gettysburg, click on that link, figure out who they need to talk to. And that way we can really kind of jumpstart the recruiting process with them from that point. Um, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Coach Cahill Show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment.